Hi, I'm Anna, a young university student. And I'm Marissa, a middle-aged palliative care doctor. And it might seem like we don't have that much in common. But we're both really passionate about climate change. And we're mother and daughter. So welcome to Green Girl Talk. For today's feature uh, focus, we're going to talk about some carbon uh, capture technologies. And I think we're each going to do one, and I'm going to go first. Um, I was interested because something had popped up on one of my feeds, and I wanted to learn more about this. It's called Green Sand Beaches. Um, And I've been to white sand beaches, and I've even been to some pink sand beaches in Bermuda. Uh, But I had never heard of green sand beaches. So given that uh, we've had to stay home and not travel at all, I've been thinking a lot about beaches, and I was curious. So here is what I found out about green sand beaches. Do you know anything about green sand beaches? No. No. Okay. So interesting to know there are some naturally occurring green sand beaches in places like Hawaii, Guam, Norway, and the Galapagos. What causes the beaches to be green is that they are composed of uh, ground up very fine material like sand-like material. Um, of a mineral called olivine, and it's a volcanic material. So it comes from deep in the earth and related to volcanoes. Um, But the interesting thing about the olivine is that it can accelerate carbon capture. Um, So it's been studied um, for uh, at least 30 years in terms of research, and theoretical work and lab work has gone into it. Um, but it was never until just recently looked at in a practical setting. Um, So this is the first time that there actually is going to be a pilot project by a non, I think it's a not-for-profit, yeah, called Project Vesta, that's going to do a pilot project in the Caribbean where they intentionally create green sand beaches. Um, From the theoretical and lab uh, work, we know that if 2% of the beaches worldwide were covered with olivine sand, it would capture 100% of the annual CO2 emissions that humans make now. So wow. it didn't seem like, yeah, I will, you know, if you only have to give up 2% of the beaches, you can still walk on them and do everything on mm-hmm. them. They just look green instead of a different color. Um, and, you know, not to get too into the science of it, because I probably couldn't, but basically, um, there's a chemical reaction that occurs between the mineral that is olivine and carbon dioxide and seawater. So it takes sort of all three components. Um, and when all three of those interact together, um, they create, um, I guess, a sort of calcium carbonate that can create seashells and coral. And ultimately, seashells and coral become limestone. Um, so it has the potential to store hundreds of trillions of uh, carbon, tons of carbon dioxide for millions of years. So it's nice because it's not just a temporary storage. And I'm definitely very interested in um, the idea of storing carbon dioxide in the ground. Um, But in the ground, if there's fires or the land is turned over, the CO2 could be Mm re-released. Where storing it under the ocean in seashells, coral, and limestone seems like a pretty good option to me. Um, So the biggest issue with it is uh, there's a few things. So 
One is uh, an energy balance between energy needed to create the olivine um, and uh, and lay it down and transport it. And, I mean, they have to dig it up and then they have to grind it down into fine sand like and then they have to bring it to the beach. So it does take a lot of energy to do all of that. Um, and you don't want to be expending more energy and putting more CO2 in than it would capture. Um, but it seems like, from the again, theoretical that that's that that is uh, something that the energy balances in favor of the olivine. Um, the second concern is the cost, and um, it seems like, again, through years of research, they figured that the cost would be somewhere around $15 per ton of carbon captured. So compared to some other solutions, it's not an outrageous cost. Um, a third solution, and sort of the reason why they're doing the pilot project, is to monitor what other environmental side effects or consequences there could be to doing it. Theoretically, it should be beneficial. It should reduce ocean acidification locally, which um, could be a good thing, but you don't know. It could stimulate the growth of algae. That could turn out to be a bad thing. So in the pilot project, they're going to do a lot of very close environmental scanning to see what happens when you create a beach like that. And really, the only other major barrier that they had suggested was that would society be willing to accept it? You know, because we yeah. tend to visually think of beaches as looking a certain way, and how would we feel if they looked green? And I don't know. I saw some pictures of it. And personally, I'd be like thrilled to go to a green beach, especially <laughs> if I knew it was capturing carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. And um, sort of my only biggest concern really about it is if people are like, oh, well, we don't have to worry about producing carbon dioxide then because the beaches are going to capture it all. Like, yeah. that's not good. We should still worry about producing mm -hmm. it. Um, but overall, I thought that it was a, a really cool, potentially uh, new cool thing that I hadn't heard about before. Like I'd heard, like I said, a lot about soil carbon capture, but this was the first I'd heard of, and it seems good. So the one that I found is called CarbFix, and it's a pilot project in Iceland. Um, and I actually heard about it from a show that I'll talk about in our arts and entertainment review part. Um, so usually, not if it's not CarbFix, most carbon capture and storage projects inject liquefied carbon dioxide into sedimentary rocks. But the problem with that is that it's just being stored there. Uh, it's still carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. So like you said, if something happens, right. all of that could just be released. released back into the atmosphere. So with this new project, what they're doing is turning the carbon dioxide into rock. So how this works is they dissolve the CO2 into water, which is basically like carbonated water, and then they inject it into subsurface favorable rock formations, which are basalts. Did I say? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I was confused. Um, so, and then a chemical reaction happens that turns it into solid carbonate. Did I say that right? Yeah. I don't know why I'm so confused. Minerals. Um, so the reaction, mm -hmm. if you are a chemistry person, okay. it's a basalt or another reactive rock formation plus carbon dioxide dissolved in water and then it turns into carbonate. Hmm. Yeah. Which is like a solid. Yeah. So then it's permanently in rock form. Yeah. It looks pretty cool. Um, so at Heli Shidi Power Plant, okay. I think that's in Iceland, 
Over 95% of the carbon dioxide captured and injected turn into rock in less than two years. Um, so, I mean, for us, thinking about that, that kind of seems like a long time for a chemical reaction to take place. Mm. Um, but compared to other carbon capture stuff, that's pretty quick. That's yeah. very quick. Cool. So it's very cool. Right. Um, you do think about like it takes a long time to make a rock. Two years is yeah. a long time to create a rock. Mm-hmm. So the things they're not sure about, they aren't sure if it can do large capacities because this whole project is based in Iceland and Iceland has very low carbon emissions. <laughs> so it's hard for them to like, what test a it. Problem to yeah. have. <laughs> um, and then I'm pretty sure you need fresh water to do it. Okay. Because if you're thinking about the chemistry, if you had sodium in there, right. then it would it. change the chemical reaction, so yeah. it wouldn't be the same. So that's also a problem mm-hmm. because obviously there's not that much fresh water on the planet. Right. Um, I guess you could desalinate yeah, the water. I don't could. know how hard that is. And it takes um, some energy. So I think those are the big issues with it. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it seems like a good... But you need the basalt rock as well, right? Yes, but I'm pretty sure it said that those are very common types of rocks. I'm trying to remember. I can't remember exactly, like, more specifically. I think, like, calcium, magnesium, I think those are examples. Oh, okay. Like, in the reactions, it was, like, Ca2 plus plus CO3. That's the carbon dioxide in water. And then it makes, like, Ca... CO3. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was getting chemistry. like chemistry flashbacks when I was in it. Um, yeah, so that's basically all I have on mine. Uh huh. Cool. Well, I know there are a lot of other carbon capture techniques out there, both ones that uh, uh, take what nature does naturally and sort of ramp it up, and ones that are more technology based. And so maybe it's a topic we can revisit at mm. another time. For tips today, I wanted to try to connect it back to carbon capture, but that was not possible. <laughs> I was going to say, how are you um, going to do that? But actually, I did look it up. I looked up carbon capture DIY, Yeah. and there was some stuff. I didn't really look into it, but I, I think there's ways that you can garden so that it will uh, absorb as yes, much carbon true. dioxide as possible, yeah. which obviously won't make a huge difference, right. but it's that's interesting because uh-huh. you said the soil capture, so it's, it's kind of the same thing, right. I think, but whatever okay. <laughs> um so my other tips are just about monitoring your carbon footprint uh-huh. and stuff so i found a website called carbonfootprint.com and they have a calculator on it to calculate your carbon mm-hmm. it's it's a little tricky if you don't have all the information just like readily available because right. it's like how much energy do you use in your house mm-hmm. and obviously i don't know things like that right um but I think those are really good resources to use. And then it showed on that website. I just typed in, like, random stuff. I have yeah. no idea. But at the end, based on your country, it had how much in your country each person, um, like, emits right. annually. Yeah. So in Canada, the average footprint per year is 15.12 tons. Okay. I wasn't sure, like, how is much that good is or that? bad? Um... <laughs> But then here's a, another number. Okay. The worldwide target yeah. that would actually make a difference yeah. is two tons annually. Oh. So when I saw that, right. I was like, wow, we're right. really over them. Yeah. Um, and I think the Europe one, like the average for Europe was eight tons or something. Okay. So 
Yeah. We're not doing No, great. that doesn't surprise me. When I've done research before, the per, per person, per capita CO2 footprint in Canada were one of the, the worst, mm. or like in the top five worst. Mm-hmm. Embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> I say it doesn't matter because we're such a, you know, a small country population-wise, but still we're such a, a relatively well-off country. We have every reason why we could do better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think using stuff like that is a good way just to so you can see how good you're doing or how bad you're doing and yeah. then kind of try to adjust based on that. Um, they also have more tips on their website. I didn't really write any of those down because I feel like they're things you always hear. Uh-huh. You know, it's like drive less, right. recycle, right. Like use less water. Yeah. Um, Do you want to put a link up? Though, yeah, uh, we can put a link yeah. to it. And then my other thing yeah. I was thinking is some places have carbon tax. Yeah. I don't, we don't have carbon tax. Um, I think some some of the industry, like industry in Ontario, mm-hmm. does have cap and trade, which is a carbon tax. So in terms of that, yeah, I was just thinking, like it's really important to go out and vote, obviously, right? Um, because I guess November is like election season for most people. Well, for the U.S. For the U.S. Yeah. Oh, we don't have an election this year. Right. We don't know. But it's important season. to go out and vote, so then things like carbon taxes can be put in place and stuff. Yeah. I agree. That's really important. Good tip. The Arts and Entertainment Review today is a review of the Netflix TV show Down to Earth with Zac Efron. I've only watched three and a half episodes, I think, out of eight. Um, So I'll try my best. So basically in the show, it's Zac Efron with his friend, his mentor, Mm -hmm. I guess you would say. And they're going to different countries around the world and figuring out ways to adjust their own lifestyles back in the U.S. to try to live more sustainably and also just to, like, experience other cultures. Well, it sounds like a great premise for a show. <laughs> and we do like Zac Efron, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the countries they go to are Iceland, France, Costa Rica, Sardinia, these aren't all countries, I just... Yeah, Lima, so. Puerto Rico, London, and Iquitos. I'm not sure if that's how you say it. Um, so I've seen Iceland, France, Costa Rica, and Sardinia. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Iceland was really good, and they had the carbon thing that I was talking about before on that episode. Yeah. Um, but I... So, okay, obviously I, I like the show. <laughs> I like... Because I like Zac Efron. Yeah. And I think if you were thinking about like, target demographic, it's definitely me. Right. Like, someone who likes Zac Efron and, and is interested in climate change and, stuff, <laughs> right. and, like, traveling. Yeah. Um, and I, I liked the first episode. Yeah. But I feel like the more I watch it, I've become less interested. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I feel like they don't do a ton of climate change stuff, not mm-hmm. as much as they kind of advertised it as being. Right. A lot of it is just experiencing the culture and, like, going out to eat yeah. and different stuff. I feel like there's a lot of spiritual stuff, too, right. which you didn't like. I didn't care for that. Um, but the things I did like about yeah. the show, I liked that like, he doesn't know that much. Obviously, he's not a science person. I don't right. know if he even graduated from high school, to be honest. <laughs> he graduated from high school musical. Because <laughs> um, I like, if you're, doing, if you're watching a climate change thing or listening to it, I like when the main 
person doesn't know that much. Right. And then I you're agree. like learning along with them. Yeah. Because I think if the main person knows a lot of stuff, it, you just feel like you're in class and they're just like telling you all this stuff. Right. So it's nice to see him learn it yeah. also. Yeah. That's definitely yeah. a good thing about the show. Um, other things <laughs> I like about them. Um, I mean, it it is a good show. I just, it's not. Yeah, it's not as climate changey as you would think. Right. Yeah. All right. So, thumbs up if you like Zac Efron. Yeah, I could watch it. I but think, if you're interested in climate change information, not so I much. think definitely if you don't like Zac Efron, there's not much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. All right. And for today's good news segment... Um, I wanted to start with an update on a piece of good news that we talked about on a previous episode, which was something called the Great American Outdoors Act, which um, is in the U.S., and it's a sweeping uh, climate bill, um, and the details of it are in our previous episode. But at the time that we talked about it, I think it was just at the House and uh House of Representatives, and since we've talked about it, it's passed both the House and the Senate, and Trump had already said, and hasn't gone back on it so far, that he expects to sign it into law. Woo! Right? (laughs) A win for the environment in the U.S. Um, In Canada, um, I was pleased to find out a program, it's not a new program, but it was uh, renewed again uh, on July 22nd. The Canadian federal government gave another $600,000 to 10 different Indigenous guardian projects across the country. This is the third year of this pilot program. And basically, as I understand it, the Canadian government gives uh, the money to uh, Indigenous communities to monitor and protect the environment as they see fit. Um, And so I thought that was really um, good that uh, each site and each community, each indigenous community can make their own decisions about what's most important and how to go about doing it and sort of fits well also with the episode when we talked about charities and I talked about Raven which is a respecting aboriginal values uh, for the environment um, charity so yeah I was pleased about that and they're collecting lots of data on all the projects that they financed over the last few years to see how they're going. Um, And then my third piece of good news is on an international level. So UN Secretary General, uh, who took his, the current Secretary General, whose name is Guterres, uh, took office in 2017 and made climate change his signature issue at that time. And um, he recently announced that he plans to meet regularly with seven specific young climate activists ages 18 to 28, uh, each from a different one of seven countries from around the world. Um, And so he's going to meet with them on a regular basis on Zoom, uh, of course, uh, to, and they're sort of the job or the purpose of the meeting is that the young activists are tasked with providing perspectives, ideas, and solutions to scale up climate action. Um, And so I was pleased that uh, he's really involving younger people um, as part of the team on a regular basis and not just sort of like as a once a year, oh, come talk to us mm. kind of thing. And I think, you know, climate act, youth climate activists, another topic we should talk about. So. 
Thanks for listening. We hope that you enjoyed it. And stay tuned for more. Bye.